Hey, what's up, you guys? Strangers from afar and close. Hope you guys are doing good. Long time no podcast. My apologies, but just like everybody else, just trying to get my shit together and produce. <laughs> and oh my goodness, it's been so goddamn fun. So this podcast, I'm really excited to share because it's exciting because I met this guy, El Fuentes, in Bucharest, Romania, during the endeavors of filming this documentary about coffee that we're doing. And lo and behold, he turns out to be uh, kind of like a next door neighbor, just seven minutes away here in Tempe, Arizona. So talking to this guy, really getting out of my comfort zone, not only me, everybody, snake bite, the, our host, uh, Patrick O'Malley, just, you know, we're, we're doing this project and we're committed to this and it's exciting and we don't know what's going to come at the end, but what came out of it during our endeavors was this guy, El Fuentes, that we met in Bucharest, Romania. He's a mental coach. And he talks about how to tap into more parts of your brain that can help you throughout your daily life. You're channeling this energy, this, this space in, in your own mind that we don't really access um, until we have to mindfully practice with meditation. And basically, there's a whole science behind it. You can check out his webpage. I'll put it in the show notes. You can check it out even online, just tapping into theta and delta frequencies that your mind makes. And so some people say we only use 10% of our brain. This is, you know, granting more access. And how good and how better is that when we could finally channel our higher consciousness and fucking be badass goddamn light warriors to shadow out any darkness <laughs> so, me and this guy were really bonded. He helped me with my mental discipline and refining my meditation. And so, I hope you guys get something out of it as well. You and I are actually seven minutes away from each other. Seven minutes. Mm-hmm. Really? That's how small the world is. We meet in Romania, wow. and we live seven minutes away from each other. Here in Phoenix, Arizona, mm-hmm. or at least Tempe. Tempe, yeah. Um, but no, yeah, so Patrick was telling me about uh, your practice, mm-hmm. and I was looking you up, and you, you, your profession is a mind coach? or Mental how, coach, like yeah. Mental coach? Yeah, yeah. And um, so basically, I want to know about your perspective of how you got into that, because what I'm learning, there's a... People have epiphanies where they're, they're suddenly opened up to what they really want to follow and do their passion. Sure. Or it's just learning along the way in life of like, oh, I've realized this and I want to share this and spread this around the world. So I kind of want to get your backstory of how you became a mental coach and started doing your thing. It was all by accident, actually. <clears throat> there was no epiphanies, unfortunately. Um, those are always great stories I hear. <laughs> but uh, for me, it was just... Um, a series of uh, unfortunate events of my life of um, just living a life of struggle for a large part of my life, um, especially as an adult, for for most of my adult life, for sure. Um, And then happen upon this lady one day. uh, I mean, obviously I was ready for it, but the truth of the matter is, is that there was no rock bottom moment 
in my life where I decided to do something different with myself or my purpose or passion. I was struggling consistently in my life in every area, whether it was physical health, whether it was um, attitude, energy, financially, relationships, everything uh, else. I've had a lot of big failures. Not, I, I, from a human perspective, they're looked at as pun as failures, but they're yeah. not failures. They're just choices I made that were vibrational choices at the time that matched who I was, which was not a very high vibrational being. So I made a lot of choices that were meant to create more pain and struggle mm-hmm. until I made enough pain and struggle choices to where I decided to do something different. And while there was no big aha moment as far as like, okay, I've had enough, there was a, a, a an, an experience that happened that was pretty cool. So my girlfriend at the time asked me if I'm into psychics, and I was like... <laughs> I don't know what psychics are, um, other than what you see on TV or whatever. But I'm not not interested or open to it. Yeah. So, just to to make it real brief, I, I went and met this lady, and she was connected to something much bigger, much more special than I'd ever known before. And I'm like, whatever she's connected to, because she was able to tell me things about myself without me saying a word. Yeah. There's no weird things going on. She literally was talking to me like I'm talking to you, and I can describe what your tattoos look like and what color shoes you got on and the glasses you have on and the stuff around here. She could literally describe my life that that matter of fact. That's awesome. I love it. And I was like, whoa, what is this person doing? How are they doing it? But I'm like, whatever it is, I want to connect to that kind of framework because yeah. that's something special. So from there, she taught me uh, Reiki, which was one of the first experiences of spirituality I ever knew, mm-hmm. which was pretty cool. And then from, from Reiki, it turned into uh, just doing some other work that I did with her, which was pretty cool. And after two years of working on myself, doing this Reiki practice, uh, creating a personal spiritual practice of meditating every day and connecting... I just, my life changed. And it was at that point, two years in, where everything, I looked around, I kind of looked up, and everything was different. And people were looking at me going, yo, what are you doing? How are you doing it? Like, this is, you're <laughs> different. Life is nice. different for you. And I was just like, and I didn't have anything I could share with them. There was no nothing measurable, repeatable, tangible. I had this beautiful journey mm-hmm. that started with Reiki, but was many things. Um, but I couldn't really articulate what I was doing and how I was doing it. So then I kind of went on an inner quest, if you will, to, to see if I could solve that equation or answer that question. Uh, necessary. Yeah. And so I just started to work on that. And I meditated a lot on what I really did from a science perspective, what I did from a personal perspective, what I did from a, a mental perspective. And I got a lot of clarity on um, the science behind what I did, which really then turned into being able to work the back of the brain and work it out, if you will, Mm -hmm. just like we can operate from the front of the mind and we can talk colors and numbers and one plus one equals two and framework that way. That all is coming from this frontal lobe, if you will. But from the back of the mind, there's a whole big, beautiful place in the back of the mind that we really don't tap into while we're conscious. It's where our programming lies. It's also where when we're in dream state, theta and delta frequencies are. Really cool stuff. Um, And what I understood was as I was meditating, I was tapping into these back frequencies, which was elevating my consciousness, 
elevating my perspective, changing my life, changing the things I understood and knew. And I don't know if you've ever had these experiences, but you ever have a problem you're trying to solve, then you go to bed and you wake up and you figure things out? Have you ever had that? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Essentially, what's happening is when you get when you take that problem to bed and you work on the back of the brain, your back of the brain has an access to a much bigger consciousness. Collective human consciousness, it has uh, taps into the universal consciousness, your higher self-consciousness. It's a different level of consciousness that is really powerful. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing we tap into when we're trying to heal the body. We're trying to, whether it's just sleeping, and you go to bed at night when you're tired, you, you go to sleep. You tap into theta and delta frequencies. You're sick, you sleep a lot more, so you can tap into theta and delta frequencies. When you are in these frequencies, you're generating energy to heal the body, to recover the body, to reset the body. You're solving problems from this bigger space, this bigger energy. And what I realized I was doing was that while I was meditating. So I'm like, all right, like, let me see if I can create a, a mental workout, if you will, mm-hmm. that can put people in a state where they can connect to theta and delta frequencies consciously and then train themselves how to pull that frequency energy uh, through their body so that they can change programming in the back of the brain, change a lifetime of programming pretty quickly. And so I'm like, all right. So I developed a system to do that. And I'm like, all right, let's try it out. And that's exactly what happened. I said, <laughs> open for business, if you will. I mean, I'm a guy who's in finance and I'm just kind of going, well, we'll see what this is all about. And as I shared it with people, they started getting results and before you know it, I'm working with athletes and pro athletes and business people. And yeah. I left my finance job and just did it full time. And that's kind of how it all wow. happened. It wasn't any one thing, but it's a really cool thing. It really works. Um, and there's, there's, there's some cool uh, brainwave measurements on my website that are pretty cool. So that, that shows it. But I can even show you today. So, for example, no goosebumps, right? Yeah. When you channel this energy, it creates actual electricity. So all I got to do is breathe. See all that? Oh my God, you have you have goosebumps. Yeah, <laughs> all over. See it in the legs. Yeah. And while you guys can't see it out there, it's very real in here. And that energy all comes from learning how to tap into theta and delta frequencies in the back of the brain. Yeah. Channel that. Open that up. Channel that while we're awake, and then use that energy as a current to move wherever we want to move. So if my clients want to heal old programming or brain stuff that they have, whether it's from abuse, whether it's just accidental programming, whether it's a, an event or a trauma or whatever else it is, they can change a lifetime of programming pretty quickly by starting to char- supercharge their new thoughts yeah. in the back of their brain and change them. For people who want to heal things, they can heal things that yeah. using that energy. Um, my athletes use it for elite performance, which is pretty cool. And then, um, yeah, people use it to just work from a bigger place in the yeah. brain and it's really a lot of fun. And so you can you can do a lot with this energy. Yeah. And when you're asleep, you can't do much with it. It just does what it's going to do. And it keeps you in the dream realm. And you're keeps you in the dream realm. It if you drank a lot the night before, potential. it's going to try to heal that, <laughs> process that. Yeah. If you... If you just if it's just simple recovery, that's the thing too. If you're sick, it goes yeah. to that. It, it'll go to the things it's meant to go to, yeah. but nothing you can consciously control. But when you're conscious, you can use it for a whole multitude of things: healing the body, reprogramming the brain, channeling the energy through you to increase your 
performance yeah. as, a, as an athlete or an individual, even someone who's just wanting to work out yeah. uh, more efficiently. Uh, you can use it to increase your awareness to all that is around you. Yeah. All kinds of things. It's it's pretty powerful. That's amazing. Yeah, so yeah. It sounds like it sounds like it was a gradual pro- progression for you to kind of go in this trajectory of your life and and have a new career out of it. Because it yeah. didn't seem like um, just based on what you told me, like you were in finances, right? Mm-hmm. Very pragmatic, mm-hmm. very just hard by the numbers. Yeah. And um, I mean, I guess your wife kind of introduced you to this this psychic that kind of opened up a whole world of like different perspectives, if you will, a different uh, way of looking at life? Did, mm-hmm. it, did it help you look at life differently? Or? Oh, yeah. I mean, I now have a whole new view of life, and a whole new perspective of how to live life. So there's a, there's a lot of fundamental principle, principles that I live yeah. by now um, that are pretty cool. But one thing real quick to say, too, is like, yeah, I never sought this mental coaching out. Yeah. It's not something that's my passion, nor is it my purpose in life. It is just something I do. Yeah, so when you're younger, like this was not in your no. There's no. This is not like I plan on doing this. This is the life I want to live. This is uh, this is how I want to be. Um, and I don't have this mindset that I can fix people nor help people. And part of my principles, and I'll share that in a moment here. But it's a real big deal because the minute you think you can help somebody and be in this position, you're coming out of ego. Um, because at the at the fundamental thing is, if you really understand this world, you mm-hmm. understand that I can't help anyone. They have to help themselves. Yeah. They have to be able oh, to. Yes. And, by the way, the only space that's really honor, the most honoring space to hold is a space of believing in somebody, seeing somebody, knowing somebody, so that they can then choose to believe in themselves. But if they don't own all of this experience, it doesn't matter. So when someone calls me on the phone, they're like, hey... You know, so-and-so referred me. I'd really like to work with you. I, I need help in these areas. I'm like, well, I'll tell you. First thing I'll tell you is I can't help you. Nor do I have any answers for you. You're your own answer. Yeah. You're your own truth. You can only help yourself. But I do hold a really great space for people. It's a powerful space. And the information is really cool. However, the information is only as good as what you do with it. Yeah. And if you're not willing to do anything with it, if you're not willing to do the brain training, because I give them brain training exercises and stuff that are custom to each person in their mm-hmm. individual sessions, if they're not willing to do that stuff, this stuff it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, and what I tell people is I'm, I'm like a personal trainer for the brain. If you're a regular personal trainer, you say, hey, I want to get stronger. I want to get bigger. You go to a personal trainer, they go, all right, let's assess you. Mm-hmm. And they'll take you, they'll, they'll examine you, they'll figure out what your weaknesses, your strengths are, they'll, you'll tell them maybe some injuries you've had, and then they'll design a program to best fit your goals, your desires, how your body works, how it doesn't work, and you're off to the races. But if you don't lift a single weight, it doesn't matter. You're not going to get any stronger. And you could have the best personal trainer in the world. And they still got to put in the effort. They still got to put the work <laughs> in. And so when I'll tell people, I'm like, listen, I've had people who don't get results from this. But it's only the people who don't put in the work. Anyone who's put in the work has guaranteed gotten results. Yeah. If you're willing to put in the work, you'll get the results. If you don't, you won't get results. It's that simple. So if it was me, if I was helping people, if it was me being some kind of answer, then everybody I worked with would get results. Mm-hmm. But it's not me. I'm just a, I'm just a space holder in this moment in time. And they've got to do something with it. <clears throat> that's awesome that's amazing and um i could definitely vouch for learning the the hard way of you can't help people yeah. they have to help themselves 
And no matter if it's like friends or family, and it's, it's tough because you love them, uh, sometimes you just gotta gotta let go and like let them be their own person and learn on their own. And and I'm learning now about cultivating space and my perspective of cultivation and just my understanding of that word of like cultivate. Oh yeah, you know, I've pertained it to the garden, something that you have to assess and you know make sure the soil is is healthy to plant stuff for it to grow but that will that's what really helped me with my meditations like i got to cultivate my space i got to make i got to do this this ritual of having my room be clean uh having my little uh buddha pillow to sit on and like get in the habit of just doing it because <coughs> i've failed so many times and i think i you know i think that's just part of the training and, and getting you know you got to cultivate that habit to sit down every day, quiet your mind, and meditate. And so I never knew how important it was to um, hold that space or at least start to create that space. Mm-hmm. Was there, like, how long did it take for you to kind of, like, find this, this space and, like, make it for what it is? Yeah, it's t- it, took, it still takes a while. Like, it's never, it's never going to be in any process as long as I'm alive. Um, however, initially... I had ADD. I was super hyperactive. I've always been, including when I was a little kid. Uh, I've always had super fast mind, always darted everywhere in my mind, and uh, dyslexia as well. That's part of the whole process of that kind of a mind, and a lot yeah. of people who have ADD have dyslexia. Um, <clears throat> but for me, it was intense also. I'm an ex-athlete, so for every, me, it's like hard, intense. Uh, aggressive. So all of these were part of my nature. All go against meditation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they go against this concept of of sitting peacefully. Yeah. So in the beginning, I had to personally approach it, attack it, if you will. And I know these are counterintuitive when it comes to meditation, and they are. Um, <clears throat> but to sit for a minute was so tough for me. Oh, yeah. And I barely make 11 minutes, but <laughs> yeah. I make sure I at least make 11 minutes. So I initially started with just like a simple like breath and a simple kind of mantra, if you will. Mm-hmm. So I could sit and just be in that as long as I could for that moment in time. And then I wanted, I was working on seeing a reflection of myself as if, you know, I'm seeing you right now and you're seeing me. It's like being able to close your eyes and see that person or even someone bigger excuse me, um, it's, it's being able to see that. And it, I couldn't at first. Exercise, visualization. Yeah, yeah. Just this imagery of being able to that's, look that's at hard. yourself. so hard. <laughs> so I would just sit, and I would sit sometimes for 10, 15, 20 minutes and have no results or no effect, except for that one minute. I try to get at least one minute of 100% total connection to my breath and to just this mantra, if you will. And, and, and by the way, anyone who's listening, you can select any mantra, like, I love myself, I am enough. Um, it, uh, it's okay to sit and be with yourself. That, even that's a mantra, it's okay. Just sit and be with yourself, it's okay. Something where you can, but it's feeling all of those words. Feeling yourself sitting there, feeling the chair that you're sitting in or the seat you're sitting on, feeling the carpet, being 100% present and connected to the exact moment, even if it's just for five seconds, 30 seconds, a minute, and then stretch it out. That's it. It's Mm -hmm. that simple. You start 
with some baseline. Some people, when they start, they can sit for five minutes doing that. I'm like, that's amazing. Some people can sit for 15 minutes and do that. Yeah. Outstanding. But a lot of people, especially in this day and age, it, I mean, a minute's a huge victory. How long was it for you, like, when you first started? Like, you can do 11 minutes now. Um, and, yeah, that's, that's like, my, my go-to anchor. I have a, an alarm for my, my watch for 11 minutes. And um, I try to do 11 minutes uh, every day. But yeah, when I first started that, I first started with five minutes. In <clears throat> five minutes, I was, my mind was scattered. I would forget about it and very just, you know, Seemed like twitchy. an eternity. Yeah, it seemed like an eternity. Some hokey thing. What yeah. am I doing? This yeah, is a waste God. of time. I feel, yeah, that was a big part of it too. Like, I'm wasting time. I could <clears throat> get, be getting stuff done or getting a, another exercise in and just like so, you know. But um, after just like <clears throat> not listening to those thoughts and stretching out for 11 minutes, that's when I become apt of... Uh, realizing to like all right so many there were just a streamline and i was reading uh, the power of now and mm. one thing really connected with me because i didn't understand at first is that you are not your mind your mind is just mechanism it's just going to be keep going and i couldn't comprehend that at first i'm like of course i'm my mind i'm thinking i'm, I'm doing what i'm going to be doing and but that along with meditation helped me realize like, oh no you're a conduit you're a vessel things are going to come and go and um that's when I become much more observant of my thoughts. And still a lot of progress I got to do. So, but yeah. now I'm beginning to realize <laughs> the benefits of slowing down and being present and right. making five minutes to last to 11 minutes. Right. And what people don't understand, it's kind of like learning a new strength. It is, yeah. It's like a sitting in, an, in a seated pose against the wall. Mm-hmm. For some people who have no leg strength, they maybe yeah. go five seconds 30 seconds and then you keep practicing and you just keep sitting against that wall and your muscles start to adapt they start to adjust Mm -hmm. you start to build a different strength in the lower back and the legs and they stop shaking so much you maybe go from that to a minute to two minutes and there's people who build up to five ten minutes of sitting against the wall (laughs) which just sounds crazy um i'm not really interested in that personally But I am interested in training the mind to sit that way. Mm-hmm. And because if we can have control over the speed of the mind, yeah. and we can have control over how it operates and what I'm, what I'm, where, I'm, where I'm spending my energy, mm-hmm. it allows me to then have a great connection that creates better efficiencies, creates better results, better connections. And so... Again, part of this work that I've done, especially the mental coaching, because I live it, because it's not something that I read a book and I'm like, hey, I'm very, very unread. And some people are very well-read. I am not. I've read maybe five, six books in my entire life. Partly from a younger, being dyslexic, I had no interest in reading. It was too hard for me. I had the function of reading. I could read. Mm-hmm. I just, I'd read a paragraph and it took so much to try to get everything to stay still. It took so much energy for to read. Because like I'll read, and the words mix up. Mm-hmm. And then I also read, and then I try to go to the next line, and I get, I get lost. Mm-hmm. Like my, 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 my eyes just get, and I can't. Like sometimes yeah. I'll read the same sentence over. <laughs> and I'm I like, ah. Do that, man. Like, and so, so it was really, so by the time I got done with the paragraph, I had no recollection of what I just read. Yeah. I just had the ability to read but without comprehension. So I had no interest in reading. So here I am, 30 years old, pick up my first book, started doing Reiki, started doing some meditation work, and instantly I was able to read so much better. Being able to calm the mind and and center and 
everything calmed down. My mind wasn't as crazy. And so I was able to read. So the first, first time in my life I read was when I was 30. And it was an obscure book. It wasn't even a book that was uh, well-known. It's not an Eckhart Tolle, like, like you, okay. you just mentioned, or anything else. So <clears throat> I'm reading this random obscure author who's this beautiful woman who's very connected. And each chapter, at the end of each chapter, there's an exercise to do. Mm. And the first book I read was called Creating Money which was very in, of big interest to me at the time, <laughs> creating money. I'm like, I'm in. Let's create some money. <laughs> and by a lady by the name of Sinea Roman. And um, what I was learning by reading this, I read a chapter a day, and I do the exercise at the end of every chapter. I was taking the information in and not just going, oh, whatever she says, that's true. No, whatever she says, I'm going to take in. I'm going to go up with that information, and I'm going to create my own truth with it. And that's what the exercise was designed to do. I didn't understand it at the time. I just did it because that's what it says to do, and I'm just going to yeah. do what it says to do. <laughs> and so even then, because I'm not well-read and because I don't just take this human verse and just regurgitate it to people, I don't tie into a lot of humanness or its philosophies or beliefs. And But I do tie into the universe's philosophies and beliefs because I've spent more time going in and going up, more time going above collective human consciousness to get universal truths than I have in all the information I've read. So, uh, and I recommend anyone, whether you read a lot or not, it's fine. Take whatever you read, take it in and go up with it. Mm-hmm. Take it in and do something more. Make it, see what, how it resonates with you. See what kind of truth you can make and your personal relationship between you and the universe. Now, in the beginning, you may not have a relationship like that. But as you get better, you will. And mm-hmm. so for me... Living this and doing this, and you're at 11 minutes now, as you keep connecting, you're going to open up your channel bigger. And you already feel the difference, right? You can feel a big difference in your channel upward. And if you don't know what meditation is out there, (laughs) it's hard to go, well, what the heck does that mean? But what do you think? What are you experiencing? I'm glad glad you you brought this up because we were talking earlier at the barbecue of uh, of my my host for this documentary that we're doing. Um, Right now... I still consider myself a, a, like a beginner, barely not even intermediate. And you're telling me about going up with meditation. I'm like, oh shit, man, this, is this guy channeling over here? Because right now I'm just uh, I'm feeling really good at, at solitude and emptiness. And of course, my ego, my mind, just on a race of like, oh yeah, you, you did it. You're meditation now. Oh, you're maybe like you know next level. You know, trying to compare, trying to always progress, like what humans want to do and evolve. But so I've had like a nice isolating moment when I talked to you and you mentioned about going up. Like, oh, what? They're up now? They're, how, how is the hell is that like? <laughs> There's always something more when you you know peer over to the mountains and you think you've reached a peak. There's another bigger mountain to, to hike and climb and, yeah. and explore, really. But um, so for me, that's that's where I'm, I'm getting stuck at. I don't want to say getting stuck or getting having a plateau, but definitely. I'm feeling the benefits of meditating and being in the empty space and mm-hmm. not be Michael no more, not be um, a project manager, not be uh, a brother, like just, you know, empty. So it's, it's mm-hmm. awesome and it's, you know, very refreshing and revitalizing because when you just get plug, plugged back into the matrix, I can go and get right. a lot more stuff done. But so that's what I wanted to ask you about to see if we could uh, expound on how is it like going up? Okay. Well, you're, you're there without even realizing it because in the emptiness and the nothingness is everything. And where there's everything, there's nothing. 
It's a very beautiful, and and that may sound great in philosophical terms, like where there's nothing, there's everything, where there's everything, there's nothing. But what it means in universal terms is when you go up into the void, into the vastness of nothingness, it's as if that's when you can feel it all. And that's the only thing you have to do now is then once you get into the nothingness, then let yourself go to feel the everythingness. And that everythingness comes in a couple ways. It's this being able to feel the energy coming into you. It's being able to feel your mind stretch out beyond just the space inside, between the ears, you know. It's this, this feeling of connection and oneness. And even now, there's this mild version of it. So going up is a lot like going, uh, a lot like just taking in a, a bigger, bigger amount of information. Mm-hmm. Just from a, a different place. Mm-hmm. Um, so for example, um, <clears throat> right now, and the mics may not even be able to pick this up, but there's like this hum of the fan or the air conditioner. I'm not sure what that is. Mm-hmm. And then if you get even more quiet, there's like a... hear other things you can hear stuff outside maybe you'll start to feel your own heartbeat you can feel how much weight you have on your right elbow as you lean on the table how your fingers are locked and how tight they are you can start to take in the picture on the wall you start to take in when you slow down enough in this human verse just to, to open yourself up you start to hear and feel more. You feel more in your own body, how your legs are getting cut off a little bit by the edge of the chair, how much more weight there is on one foot than the other, how heavy your head can feel if you really pay attention to it. You starting to feel some of these things? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that is a simple practice of channeling. What are we channeling? Sounds in the room. Channeling the feeling of your body. Channeling... Uh, just the awareness of where you're at, what you're doing, channeling the, the depth of the room and how close you are to one side versus the other. If you then just take that simple practice and when you go up, you go, what am I feeling up? Like, for example, just feel your own energy. So we're going to go on a different dimension. We just did very tactile things, sounds, feeling of the body, pictures, wall, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Go one level farther. Go, how do you feel energetically? Are you wound up? Are you calm? What's your energy? Is it, is it feel, what's it feel like? Definitely energized. Like it wants to be used directly yeah. at a pinpointed, sure. more precise manner. But Okay. Um, and how does it feel? Does it feel smooth? Does it feel high? Does it feel low? <clears throat> I would assume it feels high. Okay. Yeah. Now let's go one step further. See if you can feel this. Now for those of you who can't see what I'm doing is I'm just breathing in some big energy. The goosebumpies are back on my arms and I'm just sending this energy that I'm creating from these theta and delta yeah. frequencies that we talked about before. And I'm sending it out through my hand out towards his chest. Can you, <laughs> can you feel that? Yeah, yeah. I feel heat. 
Yeah, right? It's definitely heats around a my chest. A big difference area. than what you were just feeling on your own. Yeah. And then when I stop, it'll go back to normal or back to where it was. Mm-hmm. But you can even do that. Like, I'm, I'm putting my hand over his leg. Feel that? What's that feel like? Getting more tingling in, in that area. Yeah. Okay. Those are the same experiences that if you choose to listen, to take in more information, when mm-hmm. you're in that nothingness, if you just even slightly look up to the potential of what the universe is giving off, you'll just, that, that will take you off to the races. That's the going up feeling. Mm-hmm. And for anyone who wants to learn how to do this, it's as simple as starting in the tactile world and starting in by trying to take in more of your natural environment. Because you would be so surprised. Even if you're listening, just feel how you're sitting, where you're sitting, or you're laying down, or maybe who knows what you're doing, but you can start to bring more awareness to your body, your legs, your arms. Bring more awareness to how you're uh, holding your, your position right now. And then take a deep breath. And feel, and you'll probably want to adjust or move because there's just a bigger awareness. So yeah. what if we got quiet? What if, like you do in your 11 minutes? And what if you just did that, but you did it in a different like space mm-hmm. with your energetic feeling? What if you invited in a higher vibration? What would that feel like? And as long as you're connected to yourself and your breath and your beingness, you're fine. You're not going to get exposed to any negative energy or things or people. It's only meant and designed to bring in higher vibrations. And what you're susceptible to? Hmm? And what you're susceptible to? Or Say that. What do you mean? Like, um, I guess what you are vibrationally giving off is what you receive back, right? Yes and no. I mean, that's a typical, very standard experience. Whatever you give off, you give back. And that's a real thing. But when you get into like a meditation state with the intention of receiving the bigger, beautiful energy of the universe, you'll get more of that. Even if you're not of that energy, you may not feel it as much, maybe because your own energy is getting in the way, and that's fine. But when you have that intention and you go to take in more, you're going to get some higher vibrational experience. Not necessarily what you're susceptible to, more of what you're capable of receiving. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So um, <clears throat> all of this just comes over the evolution. And ultimately, so over time, like for me, when I started, Reiki was the thing I started with. So it was this already this thing where I go and pull in energy, breathe in energy, channel that energy through me, and then meditation, and then the one book I happened to pick up also matched that, right? <laughs> yeah. And so I was like, okay, so I'm getting this pattern here, and then all day long, I, because I was a super intense dude, I wanted to Reiki everything, like every little <laughs> thing. Okay, I want to channel, send energy. So I was in this practice of and not in the healthiest way because I was super intense with it all, being the athlete that I was, and was mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm going to be the best ever at this. <laughs> but it was still pretty cool because it allowed me to develop a practice. And the more I started to open up and the more I started to breathe in this bigger universal energy and this universal consciousness, the more information I got. And the more information I got, the more it improved my life. And some of the simple principles is things like, 
our, what our breasts designed to truly be. Our breasts designed to be a built-in path to enlightenment, which is pretty cool. Our life's purpose and what, how that's what what all of our life's purpose is, which is one simple thing. It's not like you have a life's purpose to to do this, or and I have a life's purpose to do something different. Every one of our human, every every human being on this planet has one life's purpose, and that's it. And so, so that became uh, a thing. So the breathing, the life's purpose. These were f- one of the f- two of the first things that I got teachings on. So I was like, whoa, this changes my life, changes my whole perspective. <laughs> and then from there, I learned so many. I mean, I literally could talk for hours about all the different teachings I've gotten from the universe, from how our human collective, we have our human consciousness that sits within our own selves. Yeah, very pragmatic, very just... Then there's the collective human consciousness, Mm -hmm. and then there's universal consciousness. And typically what we do, especially when you're reading things and stuff like that, somebody has taken some information, like let's take Eckhart Tolle. Cool dude, very, very beautifully eccentric for the best reasons. Like Mm -hmm. to, to tap into the information he's tapped into and get... To write the books he's written, he's had to be freak on a different frequency mm-hmm. in a great way because he's sharing cool, interesting information. But regardless, he is tapping in to the collective human consciousness and he's interpreting life based on the words he knows, like the ego, the pain body, things that he said. Yeah. I've heard some of his stuff, so I, I know enough to be dangerous, <laughs> but that's about it. Um, so anyway, the point is, is that if you just take in all the books you've read, all you're getting is human interpretation based off of human interpretation, mm-hmm. based off human interpretation of what once was an original universal truth. Mm-hmm. So universal truth comes down and it hits this human consciousness and then it gets diffracted and defrayed and diffused into a many, many different versions. Yeah. And who knows what version you're getting in whatever books you're reading out there. To the point now where people use the word hope as this beautiful thing because they think it's meant to be this beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. It's not. Hope is just fear packaged in a pretty little box with a bow on top. Think about that. Because if you hope something happens, what's the possibility? That it's not going to happen. And because we're so naturally lean towards the negative, then we have more fear... Then we do trust that it's not going to happen. And think about how it's you. Oh, man, I hope this works out. Man, I hope you're okay, or I hope this. Mm-hmm. But to hope, that means, man, I got fear that it's not. So, man, I'm going to hope to try to counter that fear. <laughs> but what are you really feeling? Fear. Yeah. And so... You try to douse more hope on that when it's just prepackaged in a beautiful... Yeah. Logo. So you can trust, for sure. Yeah. But people don't use that word. Because over time, we've been taught that hope is a great thing. Yeah. Just like humbleness is a great thing, and it is not. Mm-hmm. And you're like, wow, that's okay. And then uh, just like uh, compassion, it's originally designed to be a great thing. Empathy, same. Over time, the interpretation upon interpretation of all these words have left it skewed for us to live a smaller, lesser version of self. And unless we're willing, you individually, me individually, willing to go up above the collective human consciousness to go up as high as you can, the best you can at whatever skill level you're at today, but keep going, keep working on it because you'll get higher and higher. Unless you're willing to go up, you'll never know your truth in it. 
You'll only know whatever version upon version upon version. Yeah. Even as I speak today, it means nothing unless somebody does something with it. And what somebody does is not make this truth. Take it in and then find your own truth in it. Go out, meditate on it. You know? Have you ever been overwhelmed by whatever downloads or meditation sessions you had by going to the universal no. consciousness? No. No. Mm-mm. Have you ever done any uh, any ceremonies or experiments with psychedelics? I have. Yeah. So I spent most of my life until I was 35 drug-free. Never done a drug in my entire life. And then um, I was five, a good five years into my practice. So I didn't use drugs to awaken me. I didn't use drugs to get me to a certain level. Um, actually, I was even farther in. Let's see. Yeah, probably five, six years into my practice. And um, <clears throat> I tried a piece of a weed cookie on my way to a Native American sweat in this beautiful ceremony that I was going to do, and that was a big mistake. <laughs> it whacked me out. Yeah. So after I recovered from that crazy trip, then it was time to go into, because I did it early enough, not not on purpose, just... Someone was like, hey, you want a piece? And I was going, the reason why I said yes to it is because I was already going into this spiritual Native American um, sweat lodge. Yeah. But it wasn't like, it wasn't commercialized. It was literally one of my shaman friends who was leading it, who dug a hole in the side of the ground and has like proper, true Native American oh, nice. rituals. So it wasn't like some hokey thing. It wasn't in a building or anything. It was yeah. like literally. Actual sweat lodge. Yeah. On a reservation on sacred land. So it was legit deal. So I was like, hey, I'm going to be doing this. I'm really open. These guys are doing it. They've done it before. This must be okay. And yeah. I'm going to be open. So I'm saying yes yeah. today. Yeah. Well, I <laughs> should not have said yes. Said yes to too many things that day, huh? Well, the weed was just a, that's just, anyone will, and I've told the story to people and they're like, dude, your first time and you had an edible and you had a quarter <laughs> of a medicinal cookie. Bad news. Yeah. So after I kind of came back from that really bad trip, about two hours later is when we were doing the, the, the sweat. And so um, I did the sweat, and it was a beautiful experience, but it was really more about already knowing what I already knew in my spiritual truth mm-hmm. of my breath and of oneness and of being at one with the environment and chanting and just celebrating self, celebrating the magic of this land and the, the, the magic of the universe and just opening up. And it was really fun and really cool. So that was the first time. And, and I did a little bit of mushrooms in that, like various, because I had already had this <laughs> bad trip. They only gave me like one cap and one stem, which okay. just enough, I guess, to, because uh, I'm not an expert, by the way, um, to, to, to do that. So that's at 35. And then I did ayahuasca a couple years later which was really cool and really beautiful, but it was more of just a confirmation of where I was at in my spiritual practice. Nice. It didn't open me up to anything else new. It did give me some good imagery, um, but uh, and confirmations, again, where I was at, which was really beautiful, yeah. and I appreciated uh, Mother Medicine. And then I did uh, Iboga. I don't know if, oh, you're, wow. if yeah. you're, you heard of Iboga. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Iboga is, a, is like if, if ayahuasca is mother medicine, Iboga is father, father medicine. medicine yeah. And it's really cool. And it's a much different experience because 
they say you have more control. And so I meditated on it because I'm not a drug person, nor am I, do I need drugs to take trips and to go places and to get really high. So I meditated and it was really designed to be a physical healing for me. And it was going to kind of reset some of my DNA and some of my programming, some of the things I kind of poor choices or lower vibrational unconscious choices I made my entire life. Mm -hmm. It was designed to reset my DNA to get myself back to a, a state. And now that I was making mindful and high vibrational choices, my body would then be in alignment in accordance with that yeah. versus a whole memory of punishment yeah. that I gave myself. <laughs> so that was really cool. And yeah, that was the work a, that needs to be done. Yeah. Really yeah. Like, so it was a really cool, cool thing. Um, none of the stuff, and I know some people use them and they're like big epiphanies and that's great. And I'm happy for people who use it that way. I also know people use it and they rely on the medicine to be their answer. And mm-hmm. that's, that's not any, anything that you rely on to be your answer doesn't serve you. So, um, and then I've done mushrooms, uh, a couple of, in spirit, everything I've done has always been in spiritual ceremony and I'll never do weed again in my entire life. Um, I don't know if I'll ever do ayahuasca again or iboga. I don't feel any need to. Uh, I'll probably do mushrooms at some point again, um, but I also don't need to. So I don't have any plans. I don't, but they're fun. The, The thing I like about mushrooms is that I just laugh so much and it opens up such a huge laughter and lightness in my heart chakra. And that was something that it did really open up another level of love and laughter mm-hmm. that I had knew at one point, but because of all the pain I had experienced, it was like it. So it did, it was kind of, that would probably out of all of the things were, was a really beautiful gift of yeah. laughter. So I laugh. They say it's the best medicine. Wow, yeah, I laugh so much more now, and, and everything is light and meant to be light. And when you get off of mushrooms, you don't forget anything. You don't lose anything. You don't go back to some version of self. You just it's, you bring it with you, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. So, yeah. Well, that's awesome, yeah. It seems like you're uh, well-versed in these, these ceremonies and these approaches to... <clears throat> I don't uh, know if well-versed, six. but I am... Because I know a lot of people who've done a lot of things that I have not done. Um, But I just have some simple principles. Like I only only would want to do plant-based, natural things that are already occurring and unadulterated. Um, And I've done those things. And I'm not interested in much else because I believe that I can attain whatever experience that I want to have. And while LSD or some other things people take, I've heard stories and they do, oh, it does this, it does that. DMT and other experiences, I'm like, that's great Mm -hmm. for you if that's what you choose. I just won't choose that for me. So no, yeah, that's awesome. That's that's seems like because I in my experience, uh, I've dabbled and experienced uh, a few things as well, and they seem like um, like a bit of a word, you know, kind of like training wheels, you know. Mm. Uh, I see the benefit of having these ceremonies to help people to create that space and I love just the anthropological perspective of having different culture making different ceremonies to, mm, to cultivate the space. So beautiful, right? Yeah, and, they, they, and you can see and experience like the meaning they put into it and it's, it's healing that needs to be done. Uh, but yeah, th- like, but that's not needed. You could do it all by yourself just with your breath. Yeah, and, it's, and for some people who choose it and it becomes that catalyst, great. And if it's truly a catalyst versus a crutch, that's the key. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is, if you notice, 
all these beautiful spiritual rituals that are meant to you're meant to ingest and take in are all plants, mm-hmm. all Mother Earth, yep. truly Mother Earth. And so I have a regular everyday regimen of beautiful plant-based medicines that are non-psychedelics or any other kind of altering state um, experiences that are that I do daily. Like even right now, this in this cup is ginger and turmeric with hot water and some Hawaiian salt. And um, because of the wisdom it has, because of how it opens up and how it continues to support the body's enlightenment. And so that's why I, I, have, I have a plant-based diet. And it's because to me, one of the messages I got was how we really are designed to, excuse me, uh, have Mother Earth support us on our path to enlightenment. And whether you put your forehead on a tree or you take in a plant and you ingest, these are all beautiful medicines, teachings, wisdoms that Mother Earth is trying to give us. Mm -hmm. And when you take these in and it opens up this path to enlightenment for you, and that's why and how food can be a path to enlightenment. I don't eat meat because it just doesn't resonate with me. And if people want to, they can. I don't have any issues with people who eat meat. My mom will throw a big stack of ribs on the table while I'm having my little plant-based meal, and I don't care. So that must have been difficult because are you Mexican, Hispanic? Like uh, a Hispanic background. Yeah, I'm Latino. Latino. Cubano and uh, part Native American and... In my family, they just douse me with meat and just, sure. you know, and I mean, I love it. It's That's their way of showing me love. And mm-hmm. um, But whenever I try to restrict my diet, it's always hard. Every time I go back home, I'm like, oh, I'm not having, a, not having any tortillas today, so I just want to yeah. watch my weight. And but they don't know what to do because they don't know how to love you. No, yeah. Other than the food they make you, <laughs> yeah. right? And that's how my mom was. She was so confused. She's like, well... How am I supposed to cook for you? I'm yeah. like, you're not. Yeah. <laughs> Don't like, worry about it. It's what? Like, <laughs> this yeah. does not compute. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it can be. Yeah. But if you understand your own principles of doing it or your own purpose for doing it, mm-hmm. and it is really just because you're choosing to say yes to your inner self for whatever it is, if it's tortillas mm-hmm. today, if it's this tomorrow, whatever, whatever you're choosing to say yes to is saying yes to yourself. And so it's okay to say no. And it's not a restriction at that point. It's a gift. It's an honoring. And so I've never felt as I've been a vegan that I've restricted or missed out on anything. And because I know the connection and the power and the energy. I know the current that I'm riding. And I wouldn't trade it for anything. Mm-hmm. And I can walk by a barbecue and go, wow, that smells amazing. You know, like you hear, you can mm-hmm. smell. I'm like, I think I was outside working out the other day and I smelled somebody cooking. I'm like, ooh, that smells good. <laughs> but there's yeah. no uh, thing in my body that goes, I must have this or I want mm-hmm. that or I need that. Because I've spent my entire life since I've been waking up doing everything I can to not have anything have power over me. Not a proper environment to meditate, not a certain location to live. That's why I spent three and a half years traveling around the world, so I can become one with the world and its people. Not so I can live in a perfect world, in a perfect environment, Mm -hmm. but be perfect in the world, and therefore the world then becomes perfect. And so I I, I really don't care about what people do or how they do it. I, my purpose is to grow in my love for beautiful humans, no matter how they show up. It's not easy. But it's not compassion either. It's awareness and understanding. It's mm-hmm. a big difference. 
And so for me to travel the world and live in the world and be and it just creates a really easy life. And I don't want food to have power over me. I don't want alcohol to have power over me. And I don't want to have anything. And so I just really listen to what truly resonates with my highest good. And then I make no qualms about it. If I don't want to do this, I don't do it. If I don't want to eat that, I don't eat it. I don't care what people think because I know the magical life I'm living. And I have story after story of the magic that I've lived since I've chosen to work on myself, see myself, know myself, love myself. And it's so many things from actual money or abundance in my life to people and gifts. Even how we met is a really cool story. Um, it, my life is completely changed and I wouldn't do anything different and I wouldn't change anything. Only continue to grow and elevate myself today forward. That's it. That's awesome. So my mom can think whatever she wants. I don't really care what she thinks. I I love her, but I don't care if she thinks what I do is right or wrong, good or bad. Mm -hmm. I'm living my truth, and my truth has served me very, very well, both in health and uh, relationship and experience of life in this world being my playground and the abundance I get to create. That's awesome. That's pretty amazing. And to give you kudos to that, to just being centered with your truth and just allowing you to just navigate your life like that. Yeah. I can see that's very hard for some people. And even for me, you know, people are peer pressured, whether they know about it or not. They just want to be in the situation and have this other thing have power over you, whether you can sugarcoat it in different words or not. Um, but meditation has helped me realize having, being more centered on that. And, yeah. And it's, it's a practice. It's, it's a discipline. I think actually, I mean, the Marine Corps actually helped me with that as well. Like discipline is your your will constantly needs to be exercised and sharpened. Um, but that's that's amazing. Do you uh, do you keep in contact with that that first psychic that kind of opened up your pathway to Reiki <clears throat> to this this new life of yours? Or I do not as much as I'd like. She's such a beautiful an amazing woman and she's magical and will always be magical. She, that's Mm -hmm. just who she is. Uh, but you know, she's, we don't get a chance to talk much. Um, I'm busy. She's busy. Mm -hmm. Um, for me, she's, uh, she will always hold a beautiful space in my heart and I will always love her completely. And we, there's no, We've not split apart. There's no. There's been no like separation of any kind. There's been yeah. no reason other than I'm living my life. She's living her life, and we're just. But when I think about her, I send her love. I know she does the same. I feel yeah. her in my presence. I know she'll feel me in her presence. There's nothing but pure love there. I just don't get on the phone to talk to her because I know it's typically an hour or two conversation, <laughs> and which is fine. Yeah. But honestly, I don't have a lot of that time where yeah. I'm just going to have time. I don't, I'm not a big phone talker anyway. Um, even when I do my sessions, they're all video conference. I don't do them over the phone. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not easy for me to get on the phone and I just haven't made the time to go up and see her. She lives a couple hours away. And so just life has, yeah. and then I traveled the world for three and a half years. So yeah. it's like, we don't slowly, but surely we've just, kind of yeah. on our own way. just life happened and you guys are still <laughs> friends yeah. like yeah. nothing yeah. yeah 
I love her. So she writes. She has all these amazing books. She's written some really powerful. She channels all the books she writes. Um, her name's Claudette Cleveland. She's a magical soul. Um, she's got a lot of great books. She's a great, great writer. So she spends her time writing and putting out books. That's awesome. And uh, I know she just put out another one because I just I get the email. So um, she's done some really great work, and uh, I've really enjoyed her writing. So um, I've I've read I think her first three like novels, but then she does all these novellas, which are short stories. I haven't read any of those. So if you're hearing this at any point, which I doubt it, Claudette, uh, I haven't read your novellas. <laughs> um, but no, she's so if you're interested in just learning, she has three main novels and then a bunch of novellas. But the mo- the main novels she wrote were really cool. Um, so yeah, she's cool. Um, I guess I kind of went back to her because uh, once I originally asked, like you never had a... Uh, a shaman or master kind of like a mentor as some other people might have had. Uh, I hear that's pretty common when you're doing a lot of healing with people. Sure. And so mentors are kind of a nice grounding uh, person to kind of get feedback from or reference or help, you know, steer you in the right direction or help open, open up your potential in in the right way. hundred percent. And she originally was that for me um, in the beginning. And then it just, I just continued to work closer and closer with the universe and closer and closer with the bigger messages I was getting. And then that became more of my mentor. And so, and then I check myself every day. I coach myself every day. So I'll review yesterday and I'll sit with myself in the morning and I'll be like, okay, how'd I show up yesterday? Was there any thoughts that were of a lower vibration while I was waiting in line, being impatient or honking at somebody at a, who didn't go at, at, at a light or um, did I feel any kind of judgment towards anything or anyone? Uh, did I feel any feelings of scarcity or insecurity, doubts, wonders? Was there anything? And I look and I make sure because what I've learned is this. If I can continue to grow and enlightenment through the small stuff in life, the universe will never give me big things. If I ignore growth in the small stuff, the universe will bring some big things in my life and to wake me up. I like that. That's, yes. And I don't want to live that way anymore. I'd rather just grow through the simplicity of life, but that means looking at all the small stuff to be teachers, to be the experience of my life, how I'm living it. Let that be my teacher every day. And I check myself. I don't, I don't judge myself, but I observe myself and I'm honest with myself and my humanness. Uh, and that's another, that's a big difference between me and most people. One, I won't take credit for anyone's growth. That's a big deal. It can't do it. It doesn't make any sense. Two, I'm always very transparent with people that you, me, everyone, no matter how far, and I've grown a ton, my life's completely different. But I still have humanness, and I always will. Mm-hmm. You will. We all will. So no matter how far you go into this path of enlightenment, no matter how high you get in your vibration, how beautiful you're connected to the universe, and live in this higher elevated space and way you're human i'm human i don't try to be some guru i don't try to dress spiritual i don't try to act spiritual even talk spiritual i don't it's the simpler the better for me Mm -hmm. and i don't lose sight of the humanness because we're all human and we're gonna be until we die Mm -hmm. then we're not so human anymore (laughs) but until then i'm gonna have humanness and all i can do is keep using my awareness and understanding and love and and just connection to my humanness to be a path to enlightenment. 
So if I don't behave, if I do great things, I celebrate those too. If I show up really big and I'm like, oh my gosh, I handled that so well, like <laughs> calling customer service and not inner, not just talking the talk. I mean, literally not emotionally reacting mm-hmm. to this person. Great. I feel like a victory. I'm like, I handled that so well from such a center place. I didn't yeah. even get bothered. It was so awesome. <laughs> like, I'll celebrate these things. Yeah. Because there's a few areas of my life where my humanness will show up. Driving, customer service, <laughs> <laughs> and in general, when people live in fear, like act in fear, behave in fear. Mm-hmm. It's a very, those are triggers for me as a human. So I have to show up really sharp and present and connected every single day. But if I do that really well, I win more than I lose. And as long as I'm winning more than I'm losing when it comes to, I mean, if we're using human terms here, as long as, and so if we use non-human terms for people who may not uh, accept those, that language, if you're choosing your higher self versus your human self, the more you choose that versus the the lower vibrations, the human self, Mm -hmm. the better your life's going to be. And if I can, if I can do that, that's great. But the humanness will be there. The humanness will always be there. And I use it to teach me every single day yeah. in the celebration. I'm glad that you say that because, you know, with technology nowadays, there's a whole bunch of new shaman and gurus left and right. And, and I love them. I love that, that, you know, that this needs to be more prevalent. But um, I really hear about, you know, kind of putting acknowledgement on the humanness. You know, people want to get enlightened. People want to be spiritual. People want to just keep channeling and do badass things with their new spiritual enlightened self but um but humanness is it's right there it's you can't get away from it and, and you see the humanness in it because they'll yeah. act a certain way yeah. they have a yeah. certain talk they do so yeah. and you're like all right this okay, this is this, it. yeah and here's there's a reason one of the reasons why the universe has always said yo just be simple be you. The more complicated you make this, the more you will separate yourself from the normalcy of life. And so one of the biggest things is we, you, me, everyone is meant to go to this path of enlightenment through the normalcy of life, not running off, not doing this. I not traveled around the world. <laughs> I traveled around the world for three and a half years, not to seek enlightenment because I already had found more of myself. And then I chose to let the world be my playground. It was about this understanding of self and that got me to the place where I could do that, mm-hmm. not using the trip. The bonus of the trip, though, was understanding how I could continue to equalize my oneness throughout mm-hmm. the entire world and realize how big I really was and not how small I really was. And so there's a lot of sub-gifts that I got, but I, there's no way I could have done what I did without first arriving at a certain place. Mm-hmm. So even me traveling around the world, I can do it. I still work while I travel, so why not? Mm-hmm. But the point is, is that this whole path to enlightenment is designed to be through the normalcy of life because the minute you make it non-normal, where you have to go to a monastery or do a silent retreat or do um, some yoga intensive thing or whatever else, the minute you make it something that can't just be incorporated into the normalcy of life, that's when it becomes this thing that's unattainable. And that's why so many humans haven't done it. Mm -hmm. It's because most people who talk about it don't talk about it in the simple form of breathing and living and being. Mm -hmm. And it's meant to be something that's passed through the normalcy of life. And even when you're meditating, it's about tapping in. So if we just simplify it, it's about tapping into the back of the brain and then using that power that you generate from the back of the brain to drive the front of the brain, to Mm -hmm. drive conscious thought, not let conscious thought 
rule your life from the front back to tap into the back and let that higher elevated consciousness drive and feed the front of the mind so that you just live more deliberate as you make the choices of your life. And you start thinking like, oh, maybe I won't have tortillas right now because I'm feeling really like sluggish and heavy. And for some reason that may be affecting me. So I'm going to say no to that for this week. And then you happen to go to your (laughs) parents and they're like, what? (laughs) You know, your moms. Um, Anyway, the point is, is that if we don't try to do this enlightenment through the normalcy of life, then it doesn't matter. And three and a half years of traveling around the world, I still showed up every day just in the simple, normal, everyday life. It still must have been amazing though, right? Yeah, it was great. But listen, I spent 10 years working on myself, nine years working on myself, living whatever life was in front of me, wherever I was at, growing, learning, understanding, before I ever even did that. Mm-hmm. So it's like I spent a ton of time in my spiritual journey just being where I was at, using where I was at. And because of all of that work was what gave me the opportunity to do the three and a half years and, awesome. and make money while I travel. And yeah, of course it was amazing, but I didn't, I didn't exclude or make exceptions. Because I was traveling, I was going to live or drink or eat differently. Because I was traveling, I was going to not do my work. Or because I was tra- I made no exceptions. I lived every day the same way, mindfully connected, present, knowing and loving myself, working on myself throughout the whole process. And I kept working with my clients, just all video. And I just kept doing what I was doing. Like nothing changed except my location. And everything else was just, I just kept using the world as my gift. About six years ago, I was that person trying to go to the Himalayas and have that preconceived notion of like, oh, to get enlightened, you got to isolate yourself and go to the Himalayas and meditate with the monks up there. Um, but no, you, you, no one needs that. You, 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 as long as you center yourself, meditations, you can work right in your backyard. And I love hearing your story where you're, you're doing this, you know, you traveled around the world, but you didn't do that to seek enlightenment. You've been working on yourself and like, you just have this constant practice to just be present every day. You're, Mm -hmm. you're human every day and you are. You're going to live your best life every day to with yeah. the choices you make. And that includes happiness. It doesn't matter where I'm at. I'm, I wake up and I look at the world. I'm like, wow, I get to be here. I get to live here. Whether it's in Tempe and 115 degrees out, whether it's at the top of the Eiffel Tower, whether it's on a beach in the Vietnam or anywhere else I've been in the world, one of the things I make sure I'm conscious of is making sure that I have the same happiness no matter where I'm at and what I'm doing. And during some of that, <coughs> during some of that journey, excuse me, the, the ginger tumor's <laughs> catching me in the throat. During some of that journey, it was designed to not be known, seen, or heard. To just do simple acts, like scrubbing a floor, cleaning toilets. Not so I could be humbled. Not so I could remember where I came from. Just as an exchange of me getting to share in some of the places I got to share, I got to live in a um, above a uh, a bar, a wine bar in the south of France, in an art gallery. Oh wow! And I got to live there for free, and and I just helped them out with whatever they wanted to do. And I didn't spend my entire travels three and a half years doing that. There was only a a few small amount of times, just Mm -hmm. if it lined up for me and my partner. Um, But part of that was like, it doesn't matter what you do. It's who you are. That's it. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't 
this super successful coach in that moment. I wasn't some guy who had all this beautiful wisdom. I wasn't the spiritual guy. I wasn't anybody. To them, I was a guy who could put lacquer finish on the wooden fence. I was a guy who could scrub floors or fix a, a light bulb, you know, or a, an outlet or something. Like I was just a guy, and I loved it because it. I was just happy, and I've learned along the way that one, it's not who, it's not what you do that makes you happy. It's who you are and what you do. It's, there's no, so I do coach, sure, but I don't, that's not what makes me happy. Um, this doesn't fulfill me to coach people and to see them change. People say, oh, this must be so fulfilling. I'm like, no, I'm pretty indifferent. <laughs> like, I'm me no matter what. Yeah. So if I'm not working or I'm working, I'm the same. No matter where I'm in the world, I'm the same. I just, that's my goal, though, is to be the same. But that same is always pure, happy, just easy, peaceful. Now, am I, am I perfect at that? No. But is it what I'm working on achieving? Yeah. And I do it more often. I win more often than I lose, if you're going to use human terms. Or yeah, I, I vibrate that way more often than I don't. And that's the best I can do. And every day, I just try to get a little bit more and a little bit more. No. I don't know how much time we have, but I'll say one thing. Um, where, how are we doing on time, by the way? Uh, we're good. We probably got um, probably about 15 more minutes. Sure. I want to say something to just kind of really emphasize how simple it is to reach enlightenment. Yes, yes, please do. <laughs> and it's something I've shared many times. I have recordings on it. I post, I published them and stuff like that. But for your people, or even just for you, or even if it's just this moment, who who cares who else listens? Yeah, I don't got no audience. I just I just choreographed this just to get you some just, of your knowledge right here. You just here. never know. You <laughs> never know who's going to see it. Yeah. You never know that your intention will reach farther than you realize. So get it out oh, yeah, no. and send it out and make sure that you just, as long as you have a pure intention, you would be surprised where this will find itself. Not just this one, but all the other ones you've done oh, too. Oh, yeah. I've already had some experience on that. Well, there you go. So you have an audience. Don't be frightened. <laughs> don't be frightened. <laughs> I, got, I see you. <laughs> um, no, but in seriousness, just do me a favor and take a breath in. And if you're listening, take a breath in. Position myself. All right, let's do oh, this. Oh, it doesn't have to be a big, it doesn't have to be that complicated. <laughs> just any old breath. Just take it in. Breathing. Mm-hmm. Other than snot, what are you taking in? <laughs> it's meant to be a joke. Don't get too deep on this. Neutral what? air. I'm taking in air. Air, right? Yeah. What's that thing in air that keeps you alive? Oxygen. So they say. So they say. Based on a word that somebody one day just mm-hmm. proclaimed, this word, this is now, will forever be known as oxygen. Yeah. Okay, fine. Let's accept that. And whatever it is you're breathing in, you know it's keeping you alive, right? Yeah. Because if I covered your nose and your mouth right now, <laughs> after 30 seconds or a minute, you'd be getting real nervous, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah. But if you think about it, can you see oxygen? Can you smell it? Can you taste it? Can't hear it either. Oxygen is colorless, odorless, tasteless. It's in the air, outside of you, something bigger than you, because it takes up this whole room, right? So you're telling me, in a breath in, you're taking in oxygen, something you can't see, smell, taste, hear, feel, and you're taking it in. And you're doing it with perfect trust. Do you know how I know? Because you don't have an oxygen meter on you. 
and you at home, you don't either. You don't take it with you and go to the to the restaurant or go into the little room. machine to make sure this is yeah. oxygen. Is this a, yeah? Is there <laughs> oxygen in here? Uh, okay, I can be in this room now. Who does that? Not one person. Nope. In normal conditions, other than when you're scuba diving or maybe in a submarine, if you happen to go into these things, <laughs> you know, um, in normal conditions, we never question if there's oxygen in the air. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So you're telling me, in one breath in, you have perfect trust in something outside of you, something you can't see, taste, or smell. Think about that. Perfect trust. You have it because you do it every time you breathe in. Now, when you breathe in, do you go, oh, crap. Is that getting to my toes? Shoot, I wonder if that's getting, I mean, I hope that's getting through my legs. Oh, man. Is that, is that, what? When's the last time you've done that? Never. Questioning the oxygen that you're breathing in? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Never. never. And you never Just worry breathe. about where it's going, right? You might go, crap, man, like my legs are burnt right now from that run. You're like, <laughs> yeah. right? But you, do, you don't breathe in and go, oh, man, I hope that's getting through my body. You never question it, do you? No. Neither do the people out there. So you have, in one breath in, perfect trust in something outside of you, in something inside of you. In one breath in. Sounds a lot like religion, doesn't it? Yeah, some of those faith. They're asking you to have faith in this, whatever God or whatever belief system that they're asking you to believe in, right? And then they're asking you to have belief in yourself at the same time to accept whatever this is outside of you, right? We're talking about the breath. That's it. It was always meant to be that simple. Perfect trust. Now, breathe out. You're getting rid of all the used up air, stuff you don't need anymore, nor do you want. You're letting it go. You are perfect. You are a master. You are a, your own guru when it comes to letting go because you do it every breath out of that which you no longer need. So in one breath in, you show perfect trust in something outside of you and something inside of you. One breath out, you show the mastery of your ability to let go. You already have what it takes to reach complete enlightenment. Because if you followed those two principles alone, perfect trust and perfect letting go, you would find something that no guru alive could find. Now, that's our journey. Our journey is to go from what we already is perfect and us as imperfectness, as humans, mm-hmm. bumbling, stumbling around as emotional babies trying to learn how to walk, and then walking towards that perfectness. But the good news is it's already there. You already demonstrate it. Now just try to get every area of your life to resemble that kind of perfect trust. Okay. Try to get all the experiences that no longer serve you out with your ability to perfectly let go. Nice. I like that. This was a gift from the universe that was given to me when, when people were asking me, like, well, how simple can it be? How simple is this path to enlightenment? I'm like, let's find out. I went up, and this is what came out. And it's really profound. Yeah. And it's really, truly meant to be that simple for all of us. But when people are, you know, doing all the other stuff and feel like Taking they... ice baths and... 
isolation chambers and sure, so yeah. many things. All these, even ayahuasca. I mean, I've done yeah. these things, but I, again, I, I did them far into my spiritual journey and not looking for anything. But, but as a result, they weren't anything other than beautiful confirmations, beautiful gifts. Um, I wasn't looking for anything on mushrooms, but I did get a gift of laughter, like on a level that I had kind of forgotten about since I was a kid, you know. But the point is, it's like, all we need is this. So nobody, not someone sweeping the streets, not somebody in the office cubicle, not somebody at the doctor, or a lawyer, or a physician, or a mechanic. There is not one person that doesn't breathe in every single day and breathe out every single day, every second of every single day. There's not one person that doesn't know this perfect trust and this perfect ability to let go. On that, we are all the same. Everybody has the right, and it's built within them to know perfect trust. Now, when you lose a job, that's not easy. But when you look at your past and you think, crap, i got to make rent. But when you look at your collective past, haven't you always figured it out? Oh, yeah. Sometimes easier than others. Money comes and goes. But haven't you always figured it out? Yeah. And for anyone who's listening, that timeline of life, as they just look at their timeline, no matter how old or young they are, they've always figured it out. And so when you, no matter what your story is, no matter what you've been through, no matter what your job or whatever elite status or non-elite status you ever think you're at or been to or whatever, we're all the same. And we all have the perfect trust. We all have the perfect ability to let go. And now if we just spend the rest of our lives walking towards those two things, letting go perfectly and trusting perfectly, that's already something we do. If we just then incorporate that into our everyday lives and then spend the rest of our lives walking towards that, that is all the path to enlightenment you'll ever need. I love that. Definitely going to be utilizing that a lot more. Yeah. Now, if you do other things, cool. Great. Good for you. If you get to travel just because you can, why not? Mm-hmm. But nothing should be done as an answer to you. Yeah. Well, I can tell you, I've learned the hard way of trying to reach far and wide for answers and, and epiphany moments just to rattle my bones into an awakened state. But, um, but I get the same answer, and you're putting it in perfect words. It's, it's, yeah. it's as easy as your breath yeah. slowing down. And you're a beautiful presence. soul. Like, I see it. You're already there. You just haven't gotten out of your own way to experience it. Yeah, yeah. That's why I'm, I'm still kind of enjoying my human clumsiness because, you know, I used to have a different perspective of like, oh, no, perfectness, gurus mm-hmm. to be a certain way. But these are all preconceived <laughs> notions I had that were put into my brain from movies, books, e- everything, TVs, yeah, everything. Sure. Yeah, sure. Um, but a, a big major part that really helped me on my mental just discipline was learning how to let go. That was so hard for me. And so, uh, and, and also like really identifying the ego, like that's really hard to do when you're, you're, you're told this entity and you kind of like oxygen, you don't see it. I mean, you can probably hear from other people, but is it them or is it their ego? Is it their character? Like, so I really did not know how to identify my ego as well. Um, but you know, once you live life and, uh, make mistakes and and recollect and have a moment to pause and reflect. You start to you know have a a refined perspective to see 
your ego to, mm-hmm. to see sure. these different ways of living. And, and uh, it's, it takes daily practice. Yeah, it does. And, and just to speak to like the different religions and the different people out there, I think religion is beautiful. Uh, I, I truly understand how beautiful religion can be in a lot of ways. And whoever has their own religions, I truly support them following and, and owning their own religions. And this isn't meant to discount that. This is meant to enhance that. So if you can add your breath and there's perfect trust, and if you want to add that to whatever religion you have at it, because even anyone who's in any religious practice, and I've got to spend a lot of time with a lot of the religious people and have deep, beautiful, <laughs> and powerful conversations all around the world with these people. And, and all of them will tell you that they have certain doubts or certain questions or they have a hard time living faithfully or living in this belief. But again, this breath can anchor that in if that's your path, if that's what you choose. Mm-hmm. I have nothing against religions. I mean, there's, there's people who, listen, the reality of religion is this. It's still the number one thing that has motivated people to kill in this world. I mean, more deaths have been in the name of religion oh, than yeah. anything else mm-hmm. in the entire world. That's just a reality. But that has nothing necessarily to do with the religions as much as it has to do with the human's understanding or how they've chosen to use religion. Mm-hmm. That's the humanness in us all. Yeah. That doesn't mean, mean the religion's bad. It doesn't mean the human's bad. It just means that we are that powerful as humans to take anything mm-hmm. and twist it. So if you want to believe in a religion, and this is not necessarily for you in front of me because yeah. I, know, I know where you're at with it, but for anyone out there, if, they, if, if, if mm-hmm. you want to believe in whatever religion, this concept only supports that. Yeah. And if you don't, this concept supports that. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's easy, either it, or. Yeah, it's either or. Yeah, I had a few scuffles just because I was young and arrogant about religion and wanting it to be a different way and not understanding it to be a certain thing and... And sometimes I still feel I have that grudge, so I'm always constantly checking myself, like, and I've had, like, major, not epiphanies, but crazy psychedelic experiences where I go in pretty deep and, and have to, I'm still trying to address that issue within me. So, just, you know, I know people, it works for people, religion, some of the principles and a, a dogmatic principle to follow. Some people need some of that, that help. But I don't know why it's been such an issue with me to kind of deal with that. You want the honest truth? That's why I said this to you, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's always felt like a suppression of you being able to live as big as you can. And there's an anger in you for how much has been put upon you by the world around you Mm -hmm. in that way. Um, Mostly your family, and especially in your younger years. You've never been an in-the-box person. You'll never be the in-the-box person. You're meant to to do it, but if you are going to play outside the box, which I totally think is a beautiful thing, do it without holding on to any animosity, frustration, anger towards people who live in a box. And do it without any frustration of people's fear of you being outside the box because they may think you're not strong enough to live outside that box. And that's part of it, too. It's as if you can't, you can't, like you're not trusted enough to live outside the box because you're not smart enough, strong enough. You don't know better. And you'll prove them right. 
if you let animosity, anger, frustration be a part of what fuels you to live outside the box. But if you live outside the box of whatever normal collective human consciousness exists in, from a place of understanding, awareness, trust, and love, then you'll only use that to magnify and, and widen the experience people can have. Well, thank you for that. I definitely need to hear that. Yeah. Definitely, yeah, put that in my little wisdom box. To yeah. And you'll want to hear that back and record and write that stuff down because it's deep and it's beautiful. But yeah, listen, it's pretty clear you're not an in-the-box person. But if you live outside the box and you do it through harmony, through flow, through ease, then all of a sudden, outside the box looks a lot more beautiful and then almost becomes this thing that seems like it is in the box. Like the life I live, I definitely don't live a life like most people live. It's a ve- I re- live a very rare life in a beautiful way. And I could go into a lot of great detail. I know we're out of time today to do that. But the point is, is that I don't live in the hamster wheel of humanness. I don't live with traditional human rules and I don't operate in this traditional human way whether it's something as simple as checking in and out you know punching in and out of a clock whether it's uh, being able to truly live anywhere in the world with that kind of ease to be able to create literally hold out my hand and 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 ask for gold and then actually create gold and you know and and maybe it doesn't poof in my hand but within a, a week I'll have someone will give me pay me in gold and that is not a lie that is not made up that is a real story and there's more than one time that's happened <laughs> you know if it's that or story after yeah. story of how i just create from this place that doesn't live by normal if i i couldn't do all the things i do and live by normal human rules i'd be too limited mm-hmm. however what i do i do so effortlessly and without any of the frustrations or animosities without any of the judgments so without any of these this trying to make it special mm-hmm. all of a sudden people look around and go oh that's also in the box. All of a sudden, you're outside the box, is accepted as a part of the box. No longer are you in or outside the box. You're just you, and then people start to expand the box. Mm-hmm. Because what I do seems to be so simple and so normal, and the way I talk so simple, all of a sudden, oh yeah, that's in the box. That's the real mastery. When you can get to that level, that's, that's how I live. Like Even speaking about the breath and everything, mm-hmm. it seems so simple. Like, it's almost in, instant acceptance, right? Because yeah. how can you argue it? You can't argue the fact that you don't walk around with an oxygen meter. You can't argue that because you don't. Yeah. You can't argue the fact that you can't see, taste, smell oxygen. You just can't. Yeah. Now, if there's someone farted, you can definitely smell that in the air. <laughs> yeah. But that doesn't mean you can smell oxygen. Yeah. That was my fart joke for the, for the whole yeah. session. I think I got a whiff of it right here. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the point is, is that, like, if you get to such a place outside the box... With, with is sim- simple as possible and without any ego or frustration or, anom- or without any separation from others who are in the box. And all of a sudden, if you can get to that mastery, then what you, what, how people perceive you is just accepted as a part of the box. And then you've just expanded the box. And it's a really cool thing. And it becomes a, play- a playground. Then it becomes a playground and yeah. it becomes something that other people feel comfortable yeah. reaching towards too. And that's beautiful. 
Well, I came into this blind and followed my intuition, and I knew it was going to be a good idea to have you on the podcast. Um, I could keep on going. You know, I want to pull some more knowledge, <laughs> some more you know, little subtle phrases of, of wisdom left yeah. and right. But um, but Al, thank you for so much for being on this podcast. Yeah, I, I knew this was going to be a good idea, and uh, yeah. can't wait to work with you in the future. Yeah, that'd be cool. And you're such a beautiful soul to hold this space. Honestly, whenever I do things like this, how how great the riff is it depends on the other person as well and so it just really how beautiful this was is just as much a reflection of how beautiful of a soul you are as much as it is the content that was shared so it's really cool appreciate it man you're a beautiful soul as well resonating i knew my life is aligned properly for you to come here and <laughs> reverberate all this righteousness yeah. Um, but I guess for people listening, where, where can they uh, reach out to you? Um, sure. I have a website. It's alfuentes.com. It's A-L-F-U-E-N-T-E-S dot com. And if you just want to type in Al Fuentes Mental Coach, however you spell it, most likely I'm going to come up in my website well too. And what's cool about my website is because I just want this information out there. I put a lot of stuff in free content. So there's, you click on my free content section, and there's cool visualizations you can listen to. There's great talks that I've done, just stuff that I've put up on, on my website. I've got some audio recordings of good contents, like this breath thing, like uh, Life's Purpose, which we didn't talk about today, but it's on my website. Okay. And you don't even have to enter an email or anything. I'm not trying to like collect data from people or anything. I just, I, I'm not at that place. I'm very blessed to be able to do what I do and work with all kinds of people. Um, Awesome. So this is more about just sharing, getting it out there. Yeah. And so for people who want to listen, that's probably the best way. And on my website, there's a place to contact me if you're interested in, in reaching out and learning more about what I do from, from a coaching or a group coaching standpoint. So, uh, yeah, all that stuff's out there. Cool. Yeah. You said alfuentes.com? Alfuentes.com. Yeah. Awesome. Well, again. Oh, yeah. And Instagram. Instagram is uh, at the dot Al Fuentes. Mm, got to change uh, it up right there, huh? Yeah, because Al Fuentes <laughs> was taken. taken. I, don't, I don't know who that was. I'm still searching for them. <laughs> That's why I've been traveling for three and a half, half years is oh. just so I could find who owns just this other, Instagram account. Yeah. Uh, but no, just, uh, just the dot Al Fuentes. Awesome, awesome. Well, thanks again so much. Yeah, all right, brother. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs>